Welcome to the False Neutral, episode 39. Garrett, Eric, how are you guys doing? Not too bad. Pretty good. Any, anything going on personally with your riding life or uh, bikes that you're working on or anything that we need to talk about? I just two days ago got a new Cena uh, S20 ah. uh, helmet intercom. Nice. So that was pretty exciting. So my friend bought one and it was just like the coolest thing. And so I had to have one. So I got one. And then my friend was like, well, I want to be able to communicate with you guys, too, because he didn't even have a helmet communication. So he got one, too. So now we all have brand new CNS 20 intercom systems. And so I was actually pretty disappointed in the range of it, because that was one of the big things that sold us, because it's supposed to be about a mile uh, rider to rider and the best that we could get out of ours and so granted we all three had the same one all with brand new firmware updates um, the best we could get was about I would say maybe a quarter mile in between each rider and, and that was like clear line of sight uh, no radio towers nearby nothing Sarah and I have Seven or eight year old, I think seven year old Cardo Scala riders that yeah. we have probably close to a half mile before you start breaking up. Yeah. So there is probably between the first and the third rider, because there's just three of us, there is probably about a half a mile, but there's supposed to piggyback between. So right. it shouldn't have had any effect at all. But, um, and we didn't lose the rider, it just started to get a little bit garbled. But still, that was clear line of sight, like really kind of the best case scenario. And so I was a little bit disappointed by that. All of our antennas were up. Um, hmm. But otherwise, uh, I really, really love the features of it. I like that you can <clears throat> multitask on it so I can be listening to my music. And then if I want to communicate, it'll interrupt the music so I can talk. And then vice versa, if they start talking to me through intercom, it'll kind of mute my music. And you can adjust the sensitivity of all that. So... Overall, I'm really, really happy uh, does, with it. Does it have different channels? And maybe that was the whatever frequency it was on. And no, it wasn't, no, no, it doesn't have different channels. I really haven't figured all of it out yet. But um, so like you just you set up a group. It comes you download an app and you set up all of your settings through the app and then it downloads to the device but i so you set up a group and you can put up to nine riders in a group um and then it just kind of does everything that it needs to do from there you don't select a channel or anything like that gotcha yeah one thing so. that i i think i think it's Senna came out with is a backpack for your uh action camera for your hero i think you got to have mm-hmm. a hero 3 that it yep. will record the whole conversation, everybody together as the soundtrack to your action cam footage, yes. which is really, really cool. That's something I would love to do because I talk to my wife all the time when we're riding, 
Yeah. And I could stick a microphone inside my helmet and get me, or I could like connect to my phone and record my voice via Bluetooth through my headset, but I can't get her and me recorded onto anything. So that, yeah, that's very cool. That's the other cool thing that it does too, is you can share audio uh, or not audio music between headsets. So if you want to listen to music while you ride, you can both be listening to the same music. I'm sure that's something that would drive Tai Long Lee absolutely insane because he was <laughs> talking about he doesn't even like to have digital MP3s. The bandwidth on that has got to just turn <laughs> that into a really low sample rate. Yeah, so it does that. But so when you're at 60 miles that. an hour, you are not in a perfect acoustic chamber anyways. It's no. like I always laugh at guys that have like their Harley with the the fairing speakers. Oh, yeah. yeah, speak. <laughs> yeah. And as soon as they get up to 30, 35, 40 miles an hour, you can't hear that. Maybe you can hear one little section of the sound spectrum. But I, like, I believe that the motivation is really just to send as much sound as possible into the atmosphere because <laughs> they always have the straight pipes and everything else. And I believe yeah. that if they could tow a trailer with a bunch of 15 inch subwoofers, they would probably do that too. And most of them aren't wearing helmets, so you get all the all the wind noise blowing and making them deaf to begin with. Yeah, it's to look as cool as possible, and they're achieving that. <laughs> well, I, I have to say, I, I'm in another motorcycle infatuation mode. I'm I'm back to Moto Marinis. I joined the Moto Marini <laughs> Owners Club web forum. And and that's just like. But you don't have a Moto Marini. I know, but this 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 is like (laughs) this is like you know, not smoking pot but joining normal. You know. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um. Yeah. It it's really and unfortunately, ninety percent of the people, ninety percent of the parts, and ninety percent of the bikes for sale are all on the other side of the Atlantic. So it's (laughs) it's. It's just torturous. You know, it's, it's really tough, but I'm, I'm back to really wanting a Moto Marini, but we'll have to, we'll have to see. I'm also thinking about going back to school and actually getting some legit welding training. I, I tried to just do some tack welds the other day and I was like, I, I don't even want to do that on my bike. <laughs> yeah. Do you mean MIG welding or TIG welding? Yes. Okay. <laughs> is that is that where uh is that where you set up the iPad in the in the shop and then you just watch videos and Eastwood videos or whatever and kind of yeah. like oh that's how they did that okay here let me try that well we do have a a local business and technology campus of the community college system here that do offer a certification in MIG and TIG evenings for two semesters so going uh monday tuesday wednesday thursday from 5 30 to 9 45 every night for two semesters you can you can get certified but that would just be an excuse to spend so much money on equipment yeah (laughs) so exactly so i don't know that's what craigslist is for right yeah yeah there, especially with welders, there really are oftentimes fantastic deals I find on Craigslist for welders. 
Um, and I, I don't know if it's people that just buy them and really just spent too much money on them, kind of like snap on toolboxes. And then next thing they know, they got to make a mortgage payment. And so the, the welder and the, the toolboxes for sale on Craigslist. A, I don't know. A friend of mine <laughs> said the way to find the best deals on Craigslist is to search for the word divorce. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> That's a good one. Anytime that somebody's talking about a divorce, you know they're going to take whatever you're offering. So, yeah, as long as it's cash. Yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah. Well, our subject tonight is Hollywood and f- motorcycles as they are depicted in movies. Uh, just this past week, announcement came down that Liam Neeson and, uh, not Brad Pitt. Who am I thinking of? Matt Damon. Matt Damon and Liam Neeson are going to appear in a big budget film about the Isle of Man TT that's going to start filming. I guess they're going to actually film it during the TT week in the spring on the Isle of Man, which actually bodes well that it may actually not be a horrible movie and may actually have some authentic, interesting stuff. Yeah. So, or it could have some authentic stuff and not have a plot and horrible yeah. dialogue and still be a sucky movie. But um, is this supposed to are they supposed to play specific people or is this just kind of like a dramatization of it? Or do you know anything about it? I I don't know. Are, it, it's okay. going to it's going to be, you know, uh, so. An international uh, spy has to get his daughter back from the Russians, and they're hiding her in the Isle of Man. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It's Jason Bourne, Isle yeah. of Man. <laughs> Jason Bourne is taken. Yeah, right. There you go. So, so Liam, I, I mean, I know for a fact Liam Neeson's like a huge motorcycle guy because he did the, um, well, on top of other things, he did the uh, voiceover work for the the closer to the edge movie about the Isle of man from, a, from a couple of years ago. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. So it's, uh, I remember when the first time I watched it, I'm like, Hey, that's Liam Neeson doing the voiceover. That's, that's cool. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, yeah. But well, overall though, in movies, motorcycles don't do well. I mean, there are, there are very, very few really well. Now there are documentaries, you know, there's, mm-hmm. there's, motorcycle people making documentaries about motorcycles that are cool but as far as hollywood dramas that wrote you know that that revolve around motorcycles the really good ones you can count on one hand yeah um i think the probably the one that we would all name is uh the world's fastest indian which was a very well done story and got most of the motorcycle facts right and was very pretty. So mm-hmm. you, you can't complain about that one. Um, what other movies yeah. do you guys think of as not necessarily biker flicks, but motorcycles were a big part of that they either got right or got wrong? Uh, well, I will just say, since you mentioned it, the world's fastest Indian was is probably the one of the only motorcycle movies that I can continually watch. Like I can watch it over and over and over. And as a motorcycle enthusiast, there's nothing in it that really stands out as being like, okay, that's stupid. That never happens. 
And so that's one of my favorites. But I really haven't seen as many motorcycling movies as I should. And the only ones that I really have paid attention to are the documentaries. Um, but it, like those just, I don't know. They, they don't really make any money, so they don't really draw a lot of attention. And so most people probably haven't seen a lot of them. Uh, when I think of Hollywood motorcycling, I immediately think of spy movies where either it's the cop chasing the protagonist on a motorcycle and the motorcycle cop always goes down that's yeah as soon as you start getting chased by a motorcycle you know what's going to happen the the super spy takes a corner real tight and he slides for no reason at all lays down his bike and slides it under a truck happens every single spy movie there is yeah and the other thing is you have to shoot someone while jumping your motorcycle off of something so yeah. you're, you have your, your throttle hand and your, with your left hand, you have a revolver and you're shooting at bad guys while jumping off a cliff or somehow hitting an unseen ramp and jumping over the police car or something. It, which is why I'm going to nominate as the best motorcycle treatment of a movie ever was the, uh, uh, extreme measures with Gene Hackman and, uh, Hugh Grant. Because Hugh Grant does something in this movie that no, I have never seen this in any other Hollywood film. He gets on his motorcycle and he rides it to work and he gets off and does stuff at the hospital and then he rides it home and arrives home safely throughout the entire movie. <laughs> he never wrecks. He never shoots anybody. He never has a chase. He never lays it down. He, he never does a burnout. He just rides an SR250 exciter back and forth to work and they never ever bring in anything else in the plot about the motorcycle. It's just like his transportation and they never yeah. embellish it any more than that. I think that's like makes it my favorite motorcycle movie ever. Yeah. Well, I feel like in. With motorcycles, especially in those chase scenes, there it's just like in car chase scenes where you can like see the roll cage inside the car and it, <laughs> it like those super cheesy things. But I feel like that's too often the case with motorcycles. Like we we're just talking about Matt Damon and Jason Bourne, and there's a motorcycle chase scene in one of the Bourne movies where he hops on a motorcycle, which is like designed to look like this old crummy motorcycle, but it's obviously a trials bike with just like made to look kind of crummy. And then rides it like a trials bike through the town, but it's just like a car where you can see the roll cage in it. It's like, I can tell that's a trials bike. This is terrible. <laughs> what, what's amazing is the ones where you're on a street bike and then it turns into an XR500 painted the same way right. with cast wheels on it or, you know, yeah. something like that. It, the tires turn from street tires into knobbies at some point and then change back by the end of the scene. Yeah. Wasn't that wasn't that one of the ones in well cuz I refuse to watch 99% of Tom Cruise movies in uh Good in man. one of the Mission Impossible ones he's riding some Triumph and like it's it's on knobbies in in like one part of the chase scene and then it switches to like street tires or vice versa or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Right in the middle of, right in the, the middle of the chase scene. I think that was the one where he and the <laughs> he and the 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 big bad for no reason at all, decide to play chicken on motorcycles, go full throttle toward each other, and then as they're about to hit, jump off 
and in midair spin around shooting at each other. It's like yeah. <laughs> Tom Cruise actually is a very good rider. He's done a lot of his own motorcycle stunts. He's a he's a very proficient rider. And in Night and Day, K and I G H D Night and right. Day with Cameron Diaz, he did some stunts, but what's really interesting is that his hypermotard turns into an Aprilia SXV five fifty with Ducati bodywork on it for all of the really intense stunt scenes that they do. And are we just being too critical of things like that? Like, because that we're motorcycle enthusiasts, obviously we can tell, but like, does it actually matter? I I saw the movie Blue Thunder with a bunch of helicopter pilots. Oh, yeah. Man, talk about ripping that movie apart. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, I can say with watching car movies all my life and being a car enthusiast, yes, it's the same, same thing with car stuff. If you're, if you're, an enthusiast, you're gonna nitpick all that stuff. If you're like any any uh, action movie with a lot of weapons in it, whether guns, knives, swords, you go into those groups, and I know that those they rip that stuff apart. Of like, oh, did you see? Or they took this and made it this, and so I think any enthusiast group where something's in a movie, I, I think it's always going to be that way. Yeah, no matter what the subject. Ninety nine percent of the people did not recognize that the four-stroke Honda dirt bike in Terminator 2 had a two-stroke uh, sound. engine sound dubbed <laughs> yeah, over it. Yeah. And, you know, that I feel like that one thing is the worst part about uh, chase scenes, it, cars or motorcycles, is you'll have, like, a four-cylinder car, and it, it is always making a NASCAR V8 sound. And... <laughs> And then same with motorcycles. It is almost always a two-stroke sound that a motorcycle makes, regardless of if it's a BMW GS or a CB750. It's almost always a two-stroke dirt bike sound. That drives me wild. I will say one film, Time Rider, as implausible as the rest of the film was, uh, the guy who was in the the monkeys. Hold on, I've got it up on IMDb because I was trying to think of that same one. Um... He was one of the monkeys. Um, he did elephant. Michael parts. Nesmith. Mike, Michael Mike, Nesmith. Michael Nesmith. Yeah. 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 He was actually a very avid desert racing fan. And that's why they came up with all of this weird, cool, digital, nifty stuff in his helmet. But the actual bike is an XT or TT5. I think it's an XT500 Yamaha. Uh, with a big disc brake on the front, but it, it was actually his own motorcycle that they used in the film, which is why they don't have any outlandish claims about the motorcycle or anything that's super unrealistic about the motorcycle technology in that that was legit Accurate. as far as a motorcycling story. Yeah, it was, it was funny because I remember that movie very... I don't want to say vividly, but uh, there's some things because that was a heavy rotation on HBO when I was a kid. Um, You know, like you'd come home from school and it'd be one of those things you flip on. And and I specifically always remember the sort of the HUD system that he had in his helmet as being like the coolest thing. And here we are 35 years later and we're, we're, we're getting close to actually having that stuff. Yeah, if people weren't embezzling money, we'd already have it. Yeah. <laughs> True. 
True enough. When we're talking about chase scenes, though, the one that did get it probably close to right as possible, and that's because of the two people involved, was The Great Escape. Yes. Steve yes. McQueen and, and obviously Buddy Eakins doing the stunt writing at the very end of it. Um, he's a, Buddy Eakins is actually the one who did the jump over the, over the fence. Um, McQueen did a lot of the, lot of the writing himself, but not the, the very end. But that, that is also one of those quintessential ones where, okay, there, there is some overdubbing going on and there's some eh, kind of things in that. But generally, that was a reasonably accurate kind of chase scene on a motorcycle. The jump was legit. Not sure quite how, you know, obviously there was some ramps and stuff involved, but you know, that was sort of an iconic kind of scene. So there's a movie, a motorcycle movie on our list that literally almost prevented my marriage, almost prevented <laughs> my entire life from happening. I kid you not. Harley the Davidson, Hogs. the Marlboro man, the wild hogs. <laughs> so I have to tell you why. Back when my wife and I, well, she was my girlfriend at the time, we were dating and that movie had just come out. We didn't know that much about each other. What I didn't know about my wife at the time is she is a movie snob. I can say that because she left to work. So the house is clear. <laughs> she, she, honest to God, movie snob. If ever she's going to watch a movie, she has to go and check and see if it's won an Academy Award or whatever else they win these days. I don't even know. But at any rate, I'm not a movie snob, but I also love motorcycles. And so this movie, Wild Hogs, came out. And I said to my wife, I feel like we should go see Wild Hogs. <laughs> and she didn't say anything to me at the time. But later I found out that she had serious reservations about our relationship. <laughs> After I almost took her on one of our first dates to see that movie. Uh-huh. And so we, we joke about it now, but I it's on Netflix. And so I just watched it like a week or two ago and it showed up on Netflix. And so when she was on later that evening, uh, she pulled up Netflix and saw that I had watched the Wild Hogs. She gave me a lot of crap about it. But I will <laughs> say that I actually really liked the movie. And I'm not going to say that with her in the house because I don't want her to divorce me. But (laughs) (laughs) it is the cheat. Don't get me wrong. It's the cheesiest movie there is. But I actually kind of enjoy the movie. (laughs) As far as a movie, it's just the hokiest script in the world. But I enjoy the four actors well enough. Yeah. And there are some good lines in it. So, yeah, it's and it's, it's one pleasure. of those movies it's where, a... yeah, you just, because you have such low expectations for what it's going to be, it meets those expectations, and every everything's good. In our house, when my wife and I are thinking we need to get out on the bikes, it is common for us to look at each other and say, I just want to ride, I just want to ride, I just want to ride, you are so weird. So, I just want to like, point out, uh, isn't it more appropriate to say trikes, Pete? <laughs> this predates us having only okay. only and sometimes i can ride something else when I, my 125 is is something the, i can take out and ride so the only reason why i thought about that is because we were just talking about chase scenes and how accurate things are and sound effects and so i heard bikes and so i'm just like in this critical frame of mind where i'm like wait a minute pete they're trikes oh i have to say that on the 
ADV Rider website, somebody posted a picture of a spider in the <laughs> best looking bike of all time thread. Yeah. And people didn't jump on him for the fact that it's an ugly, ugly thing. I even own one and I just, no way are they attractive. They are yeah. not the most attractive motorcycle ever. Everyone got on it. It's like, that's three wheels. That doesn't, that's not a motorcycle. That's, that, that's, it's uh, not even the same thing. How can you say that? It is a motorcycle. Trichophobia is, is a real thing that yeah. people freak out. And so in order to shut everybody up, they moved it into the hacks sidecar thread or mm. sub forum. And then everybody jumped on the fact that the, that it wasn't a sidecar. And why is it in here? This isn't a sidecar. Oh, please, guys, just just chill out. You know. Yeah, seriously. But yeah, there, for some reason, three wheeled motorcycles can get people's dander up. Calling it a motorcycle or trying to imply that it's a bike really gets people obscenely, irrationally upset, and I don't understand why. But it's just a thing. I feel like some of the owners of them really want to defend their purchase of it. And then the people that are just hardcore two-wheeled enthusiasts just don't even want to acknowledge that they exist. And so you just get this clash. Somebody in the Bike Bandit blog, I think it was, wrote a article about waving to other bikers. And he was like, yeah. you know, hey, whether you ride a sport bike or you ride a Harley or you ride a dirt bike, it's important. You should wave to each other. That's how we all, you know, build community and feel a connection with each other. And I'll wave at anybody except those damn Can-Am spider riders. I will not wave at anybody with three wheels because they're just pretenders. And I was like, okay. And I think it was Jason Connor on Camden Tub one episode that said he thought that People should be allowed to just hit Can-Am spiders in traffic whenever they wanted to out of spite, which kind of surprised me, but okay. I don't understand. So let's further this tangent, and we'll come back to the movies after a bit, because since you brought it up, I want to talk about the motorcycle waving thing. Okay. Because when I ride different motorcycles, I get waves from different people. There's people, motorcyclists that will wave to me, it seems like, and now this is a generalization, but it seems like there's people that will wave to me when I'm on a classic bike that won't wave to me on a supermoto versus a sport bike. So what is it about motorcyclists where they choose who they're going to wave to? If I'm on a classic bike, I get tremendously more waves than if I'm on the supermoto. It's just like if I'm on a supermoto, I have to be a hooligan maybe, and then also, it seems like Harley riders will only wave to other cruisers, but they, it seems like they won't wave to other motorcycles. Now, I know this is a huge generalization, but what what is this? I, I will share my observation is Harley riders would not wave to my wife and I until Harley came out with the tri-glide and the trikes became popular among Harley riders. Nowadays, I probably get more waves from Harley riders than I do sport bike riders or, you know, supermoto riders or whatever. I just don't know why it isn't one community where everybody waves to each other. Like, why does a Can-Am spider rider have to be different than a Harley rider a versus, versus a scooter? I, I will wave to a Vespa the same as I'll wave to a, 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 a Harley. 
Now you need I, I just you need to be know. careful about that because we all know that scooter riders are homosexuals and they may stalk <laughs> right. you if you wave at them. So that's a hey, really dangerous a thing to do. And of, <laughs> I hope everyone knows I'm being facetious to make a point there. Yeah, I have a Vespa, and so I can appreciate. <laughs> well, see, when you're the when you're the when you're the one percent of the one percent, you have to show just how individualistic you are, right? Yeah, and that's why you only can only acknowledge certain people. Now the Armani Vespa, I will not wave to anybody riding that. It just will not happen. <laughs> I think I think I would because if you have an Armani Vespa, I want you to be my friend. Yeah, because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> right. they rich. You can buy my. Starbucks latte as often as you'd like. Right. I don't okay, know let's why. get back to movies. Movies we liked. <laughs> movies that were instead of just bashing them, movies that we thought were really good movies. I remember watching um The Wild Ones. And it was, you know, it was such a thing that, oh, the Wild Ones, it made motorcycles so bad and whatever. Because that was sort of in a Brando thing in college. And it's one of those things you definitely know you're in a different time and space in the world because when I watched that in the late 80s, early 90s, I'm like, okay, I don't see what the big deal is. And then you got to put yourself back into, what, 1957 or 9 when that movie came out and realize, oh, yeah, I guess that really would have been pretty crazy for that Brando, Lee Marvin, and all that. Um, and, and what but I thought you, it was generally a decent movie. And That's the thing like, to remember with the movie code, you had to imply everything. So if you implied a little bit, you were implying a whole lot more than that. Right. And it was kind of understood that, you know, a sly wink was as much as you could say about something that would be either really scary or really immoral or really antisocial. Mm -hmm. But yeah, he, I always, when the first time I thought, I was like, Ooh, he's the tamest rebel in the world, you know? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I mean, like even Lee Marvin, who's supposed to be out there, I'm like, okay. I. But again, it's a whole different world than, you know, when that movie came out. So I, I guess I can understand it looking back. But, uh, you know, again, decent movie. Pretty, pretty good. Great cast. Just an awesome cast. And very well photographed. I mean, yes. they used that real high contrast black and white film that made everything look sharp and, and very contrasty. It was very cool. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you one, one movie that I really enjoyed. It was a small film. Not a lot of people have seen it. Uh, Roadside Profits. And it was filmed and I was living in Idaho Falls when I saw it and it was filmed partially in Jackpot, Nevada, which is as close as you can get to Idaho. And actually the final scene of the movie is on the Idaho, Nevada line in Jackpot. So it was not quite down the street for me, but I went through jackpot quite a lot. Basically, the story is a guy ends up with the ashes of a, a riding friend that he doesn't know all that well, but he's trying to find El Dorado, which is where this guy wanted to be buried or wanted to go. And he's going to just cast his ashes in this place in Nevada that he's trying to find. And John Doe from X is the rider and he hooks up with Oh, uh, what's his name? Horowitz. One of the guys from, uh, can't think of his Adam Horowitz. Yeah. He's this really quirky, probably mentally unstable kid that decides to go with him on this journey and very hurriedly buys a Triumph Bonneville to go riding with him. And it's just a 
stereotypical road movie. It's about these two guys that don't know each other trying to do a good thing for this guy who died, but he didn't even really know him either. And it's just about all the weird people and weird events that happen to him on the road. It's just kind of this low-key, very quirky, but not slapsticky movie. Uh, John Cusack plays a guy who describes himself as being, uh, when Patty Hearst was captured, what was the name of the radical group? Symbionese. He goes, I'm Symbionese. And his way of protesting the system is dine and dash. <laughs> so he goes into restaurants, <laughs> eats, and then runs out on the bill. And that's his big form of protest against society. So it's just weird so stuff like that. There's some there's some interesting people in here that like okay so Arlo Guthrie is in this movie Timothy Leary is in this mm-hmm. movie Don Cheadle is in it John like you said John Cusack and Flea yeah it, it, <laughs> from, it's the, a, from the Chili Peppers if Bill you Cobb. took all those people and put them together imagine the movie that they would make this is that but but you it, just because I had IMDb up looking at this because I didn't didn't know it can you take a guess what the gross for the box office for this movie was. Because you said it was a small film. Can you guess how small? Uh, 1.2 million. $147,724. That was the box office? Box office gross, according to IMDb. Wow, because I did not see it in the movie movie. theater. I, uh, I had a girlfriend of mine rent it at the video store and came home with it on a Friday night and said, hey, let's watch this. So I was like, okay. Okay, maybe it did more than that because there's it lists five different gross numbers for it for the U.S. So maybe it did more than that. It's hard to say, but it didn't do very well. <laughs> but it's interesting. Do they have Just Do they have an IMDb like meta, yes, Metacritic I, score on it? Uh, six point five. Okay, yeah, I'd give it a six point five. It was it was a solid six or seven. And thanks to our vast listenership, they're probably going to gain like 10 or 20 bucks. On, <laughs> no, because they're all going to download it from some, <laughs> from some, from some torrent site. Yeah. Uh, Akira. One of my, you know, I've never seen that. It's kind of like, I'm going to say, uh, the wild one. Mm-hmm. It's been so overhyped over the years. You're going to watch it and go, what the hell was that? It doesn't make any sense, and uh, the motorcycle part of it is is a minor subplot in an otherwise almost inscrutable film, but it's really well drawn and very cool. So, I think I've probably seen you know a couple bits and pieces here and there over the years, just because how can you avoid it? But like I've never actually watched the entire movie, but I'm also not an anime person either. So, and you're not stoned. Okay, good point. I I don't know if too many people, other than myself, have watched the whole movie not under the influence of some chemical substance. I know when I first saw Easy Rider, I'm like, this is the suckiest. If it weren't for all of the historical notoriety of it, I would not sit through this film. So you may feel the same way about Akira. So it's like Tulane Blacktop is what you're saying. It's It it only makes sense if you're... If you say so. Under the influence. (laughs) Fear and Uh, loathing in Las Vegas. (laughs) um, uh, Another one that I'm going to bash, uh, Girl on a Motorcycle, starring Marianne Faithful. 
I had heard about this film as it was kind of, kind of like, uh, the wild one, something really notorious, very on the edge. You get little peeks at Marianne's naked body every once in a while. It's not worth it, folks. Do <laughs> not sit through this movie. It is so tediously boring and so deliberately avant-garde late sixties counterculture. It's not even like weird psychedelic freakout stuff. It's, it's just an excruciatingly boring movie where not much happens except, well, at the end, you're just glad it's over. <laughs> um, for me, most of the motorcycle stuff that I, I like the best are all going to be doc racing documentaries for the most part. Right. Um, most documentaries are good because you've got a very knowledgeable, passionate filmmaker filming about a subject that they're legitimately interested in enough to make a documentary. So right. you don't have too many really stinker documentaries like you do with really bad Hollywood movies. If there's a director that I want to give some props to, um, because he has done a number of quite a number now of, uh, racing documentaries, mostly for MotoGP. It's Mark Neal. Um, he's de- he did faster, faster and faster. The doctor, the tornado and the Kentucky kid fastest, uh, charge and hitting the apex was his latest, which was sort of an update to a lot of these MotoGP stuff. And, um, like most of them were narrated by, um, what's his name? Ewan McGregor, except the latest one, which was hitting the apex, which was done by Brad Pitt. So it was just to mix it up a little bit. But he gets, like, if you're into racing at all or even kind of interested in MotoGP, and the, he gets the, the feeling right. Like, the cinematography is obviously very good, but there's, you get the emotion of, and, and the drama, and it doesn't come off as hokey. It comes off as genuine. So that's, uh, that was pretty good. And then another one, uh, he didn't do, but it was also good about the Isle of Man was, um, it's called TT3D Closer to the Edge. It's a really good documentary about the actual racing on, on the Isle of Man and, and actually addresses a lot of the dangers and people dying and stuff like that. So it was, that one was really good as well. It's yeah. not all. Let's let's all go off to the glory of war. <laughs> exactly. And then and I'm thinking that's the one. There's enough interviews with Guy Martin that about halfway through it, you kind of start to get a handle on what he's actually saying because you figure out his accent. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Exactly. Uh, speaking of documentaries, one of the films that I have I've spoken about before, I have a love and hate love and hate relationship. It's got some excellent, excellent sequences in it that blew me away other parts of the film are really bad and that is take it to the limit uh by peter Starr. he was one of the very first people to uh actually come up with filming equipment that you could film on a motorcycle david md was uh one of his riders uh he filmed the famous indy mile where Kenny Roberts rode the TZ750 and mm-hmm. came from behind in the last lap. He did onboard video and audio with Mike Halewood going around the TT course. Really great. And then he's got other parts of this movie that are so hokey. He's got this one section where they're singing a song about widow warriors and he's filming like little toddlers on little monkey bikes for 
what seems like 10 minutes of the movie and I'm like, Oh, just jab pencils in my eyes. <laughs> uh, the whole end of the film is a claymation of Arlo Guthrie singing the motorcycle song. I don't want to pickle. I just want to. So it's really uneven. So I don't want anybody to think it's like this ultimate movie from beginning to end, but those parts of it that are really good are fantastically, exceptionally, you will always remember them good. I'll have to, I'll have to, I'll have to look at that one. We've mentioned the movies and, well, documentaries a billion times, but Long Way Around and Long Way Down are yep. both of, both those are my favorite motorcycle documentaries slash movies in general to watch. Uh, in fact, this those are probably the only motorcycling related shows that I've been able to get my wife to have any interest in whatsoever. She enjoyed watching them with me, too, which is saying something because she really doesn't care about motorcycles. But uh, their personalities between Ewan and, and his friend are just such a neat mesh. And just to see everything that they do is actually really cool. I have not seen either one of those. And my mom even bought me the book <clears throat> The Long Way Around for Christmas one year. And I believe it's still on a bookshelf in my basement unread. So, yeah. Oof. I, They're really good. I read uh, Jupiter's Travels by mm -hmm. Ted Simon. And yep. Dreaming of Jupiter, which was the the second account of his second ride around the world when he was 70. And I think I was just a little burned out on the whole adventure around the world ride story because she knew I'd read those two books. And you're just like, here's another book on that same subject. And I was just like, I'm not sure I can go around the world again. I'm I'm not <laughs> ready to do that. And then I kind of forgot about it. Well, Pete, if, if I had three, well, I'll have to figure something. Well, maybe I got a jump drive I can send it to you on. Um, I have long way round, um, on my computer here, but it's three, it's a little over three gigs. So I would need to put that on a, on a USB drive for you and send it to you. Uh, you could also do I, uh, or not iCloud, Google Drive and then send them a shareable link. Ah, and okay. then, and then you don't have to actually transmit all that data. Or you I just, put it just on your actually accesses it. pay for it and watch it. Or I, who it, does that? Though? Well, I've got Amazon <laughs> Prime. I could probably watch it for free. It's on probably Amazon. on there. Uh, yeah. When you said yeah. the one that your wife took an interest in, the one, and again, it's a three wheeler, so I'm not going to call it a biker movie or or documentary. Billy, because we don't want to lose any listeners here. Yeah. <laughs> Billy Connolly's Route 66. Billy Connolly, the uh, actor and comedian from scotland if you don't know him by name you'd know him if you saw him he rode the length of route 66 from chicago all the way to the west coast and the interesting thing was it was filmed for british television so here's a scottish guy who granted has lived in hollywood when he was working on uh for a while, he was on uh, Head of the Class. He was the replacement teacher on Head of the Class TV show for a couple of years. So he had been living in Hollywood on and off. But this was him introducing the central and southwestern states to a British audience. Here's what it's like to cross America. I think it came out in 2011. It's really good. It's, it's, a, it's four 30-minute episodes. You can get it on DVD fairly cheaply online. I bought it, and I was like, hey, honey, let's watch this. 
and he has a he has a Volkswagen trike. He has one of the big uh mm. I think it's called a boom trike. It's one of the big long chopper forks with a Volkswagen engine in the yeah. back. And he takes that and rides Route 66 with a camera crew. And it's about the people he meets and he sees all the historical things along the way and that all would be cool. Geog- it's very, very cool. And he's got an incredibly good sense of humor. And he he just has so much obvious fun and joy at doing this. And it's actually very, very complimentary of Americans. My wife was like, you want me to spend two hours watching what? A guy <laughs> riding through the desert on a trike? She liked it so much that she bought a copy for her uncle. And she sent a copy to another friend of hers. And she was like, you got to watch this. This is so cool. When my parents came to visit from out of town, we spent two nights watching all four episodes so that my parents could see it. So she went from, you're making me watch this, to this is the best thing ever. Yeah. Those are the things that I love most about documentaries are where a part of it, and maybe even the smaller part of it, is about the motorcycling. But the other part of it is about the adventure of it. And so that's what I really liked about long way around and long way down. And I think that's also why my wife really enjoyed it is because there's just two completely different dynamics that you can both appreciate. Uh, another movie that is not really about motorcycling, but is very complimentary to it. Is, I don't know if you guys have seen the Canadian film one week. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, no, it, it's about a guy who's, I don't know, Toronto, somewhere in Eastern Canada, And he basically is told he has inoperable terminal cancer. And he says, okay, it's, it's time for me to live my life. Gets on, uh, actually buys a, uh, Norton 850 commando and takes off and rides to British Columbia across Canada. And again, it's a road movie. It's about what happens to him along the way, but it's not like slapstick or super heavy action. It's just kind of about his inner struggle of dealing with, if you were running out of time, what would you think about? What would you want to do? How would you try to maximize your life? And what would be important to you at that point? My wife thought it was a little slow and a little too introspective, but cinematically gorgeous. It has some of the best footage of a guy riding across the landscape that you will see in any movie. And I actually really, really enjoyed the whole message of the movie. 7.1 on IMDb, so that's not bad. Yeah, I haven't seen that either. Two other quick ones before we wrap up here, probably. Uh, also documentaries, also about racing. One, well, not one's not so much about racing. It's half racing, half lifestyle. Uh, classic we haven't mentioned on any, on any Sunday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that's just like, that is... Like motorcycle 101. <laughs> Let's be honest. Plus, it's Steve McQueen. So, hey, yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure that's really, on Netflix right now too. Um, so that's uh, that's a classic and and just some great vintage to go back and look at how things were back in the day. And the other one, um, and I think it was done by the son of um, the guy who did on any Sunday, and his name I'm blanking out on it. Uh, and it's um, Dust to Glory, which is about the uh, the Baja 1000. Yeah. Yeah. And it covers mostly, mo- it covers all of it, but it's mostly about uh, Mouse McCoy trying to do the entire Baja 1000 on his own on a motorcycle. Because most of the motorcycle guys you trade off with riders, or he tries to do the whole thing by himself and almost does it. Yeah. So 
Uh, it's a great movie. I mean, even if you're not, I'm not really that into off-road riding, but I watched that and it was just like, that was amazing. It was really well done. Yeah. Yeah. Both are really good. Okay. And with that, let's, let's wrap this up. If you have a favorite film that we forgot to mention, or you disagree with any of the assessments that we made here, if you think that, uh, wild hogs should be, you know, considered on, you know, there's Hamlet and other Shakespeare works. And then, yeah, Wild tell Hogs my wife while well, she's Harley. wrong. <laughs> no, Harley, Harley Davidson, the Marlboro man, that should have won an Academy Award. <laughs> if you think that, uh, feel free to give us all of your obviously rational arguments on the Hooniverse or on Facebook at the false neutral or Twitter at the false neutral. Yeah. And if there's something you want us to talk about, we're always batting around during the week, trying to come up with subjects for each one of our uh, episodes. If there's somebody you'd like us to talk to, can't guarantee we have the influence to get a hold of somebody. And if you say, I want you to interview, you know, uh, Kevin Schwantz, uh, probably Eric Buell. <laughs> yeah. And probably not going to happen, but if you know somebody that is, you know, on the D list that we can probably talk to, uh, <laughs> mention them to us. And yeah. if there's a subject you want us to cover, tell us about it. And we, we will, if we can, and if we can't, we won't. With that, Eric, Garrett, thank you guys. Yeah. Thank you. And we'll see y'all next week. <laughs> <laughs>